thank you for your presence here with us today. Lord, I thank you for the good news of the gospel. Thank you that Jesus came teaching and acting and ultimately dying and rising for us. We thank you for this good news that we get to reflect on and to remember again here this morning. Would you impress upon our hearts the presence of Jesus this morning? Lord, help us to see him clearly by faith this morning as we open up your scriptures and as we reflect on the good news of the gospel this morning. We love you. We thank you for this time. I thank you, Lord, for this church. Be with us now. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. I, I, love, I love this story from our gospel lesson, this little short part of the story. Um, there's, there's so much packed into the four or five verses that I just read. I mean, there's a lot going on there. He, Jesus enters a, the synagogue. He stands up to teach, and, and he kills it. I don't, I don't know what that feels like, but like he teaches, and everyone is like, wow, that was the best teaching I've ever heard. Okay, so that's how it starts. And then immediately, Mark says, a heckler stands up, and he loudly interrupts Jesus. But there's a little bit, some, there's something going on with this guy. This guy knows not only where Jesus was born, where he comes from on earth, who he is, uh, but he knows that he is the Holy One of God. He seems to have some more information here. And, and Mark says that he had an unclean spirit. Later in Mark's account, uh, he talks about demons in people all over the place. This is a common theme in Mark's gospel. So here's this guy who stands up and heckles Jesus. And Jesus says a word. He rebukes him. He rebukes this unclean spirit and casts him out. He casts him out of the man. And everyone is amazed at both his teaching and his miracles. All of this comes together. And this, this is, so there's a lot here. There's a lot here in this text. But this is beginning what Mark is going to do over and over again in this gospel. Uh, we're not really looking at Mark's gospel this morning, but I just love this story. Um, I love that Jesus comes both teaching and doing. He comes, and in particular, he comes teaching with authority, and he has the power and authority to cast out the powers and principalities, both in heaven and on earth. He is strong and powerful. I love, I love this. I, I think Mark's gospel in some ways is like a warfare gospel. It's a spiritual warfare gospel. So I love this story. But one of the things that I want to focus on here is... Jesus is both, and this is something that we have to hold together within the history of the church and within Christendom in general. Jesus is both reasonable, so he teaches well, he makes sense to people, he makes a compelling argument, and he's powerful. He actually, he actually does what he says, right? He teaches and he does. He has both deeds, or he has words and actions. He astonishes people with his teaching and his works, in other words. So he, he holds these two together. And at the same time, he cares about those in this room who are very intellectually inclined. So if you're a thinker, if you're a deep thinker, 
There's, there's plenty of depth to go into. But if you are someone who's like, I don't, I don't really want to mess with all of that. I'm just kind of a deep feeler. He meets needs over and over again. This is what he does in the gospel. He is the word or else the logic, the reason by which everything exists, the Apostle Paul says. And immediately after this story in Mark that we just heard, he leaves the synagogue and he goes and heals Simon's mother-in-law. It's, it's just beautiful. He's, he's, he's compelling and he's tender. And that's, that's what I've been reflecting on this, this week. If Jesus was both an amazing teacher and a powerful miracle worker, then why didn't everyone everywhere believe him? Why didn't everyone believe him, right? They, his fame immediately spread throughout all of Galilee. Why did not everyone, whether you're a thinker or a feeler, why didn't everyone believe him? If he could answer every question of the, of the smartest skeptics, every intellectual that he encountered, he could meet the needs of every person, even raising someone from the dead. If he could meet everyone's needs, then why didn't everyone believe? Why didn't they believe? 1 Corinthians chapter 1, the Apostle Paul opens his letter to the Corinthians with this short sentence, and I think it gets at why. Uh, we, don't, we don't believe because of arguments or signs. Paul writes, Jews demand signs, and Greeks seek wisdom. So you could say maybe uh, so, some people like, they like to prove from actions, and some people want to be proved through an argument or something like that. These two different cultures are embodied. Obviously, obviously, and Paul knows this, there are a lot of intellectual Jews out there. And obviously, he knows that there are Greeks that are compelled by signs. But in general, these cultures, one was prove it, prove it with actions, and one was prove it with argument. Jesus came with both unbelievable signs and unmatched wisdom. And especially in Corinth, but in a lot of places, why didn't... Why, why didn't he meet everyone's needs? Have you ever thought about that? What, he, he is compelling. What is so compelling about Jesus? And why do I want to follow him? Why do I trust in him and believe in him? And some really smart people I know don't trust him. Or some people who are very virtuous and they do a lot of good and they're not Christians and they don't believe in Jesus. Why, why aren't all groups of people compelled by Jesus? So that's what I've been reflecting on this week, uh, and I think that's really centrally what Paul is arguing in 1 Corinthians chapter 8. Jesus came to restore broken relationships, not prove a point. That's, that's, I, I think that's what Jesus uh, is doing both in the gospel and what Paul is arguing here specifically in 1 Corinthians chapter 8. Another way to say this is Blaise Pascal. He says it like this. Guys, we just, we just had book club, so I'm still going to have him in my head for at least a couple more weeks, okay? So Blaise Pascal says it like this. Jesus Christ and St. Paul, so he brings Mark and he brings 1 Corinthians together. He says, Jesus Christ and St. Paul possess the order of love, not of the mind. For they wished to humble, not to teach. 
Okay, let me translate that for you a little bit. They were aiming at your heart, not your head. They wanted you to be humble in relationship to God. They didn't want you to be a know-it-all. That's the aim of both Jesus and St. Paul. Now, if you think about Mark 1, we just heard this gospel. What's the first thing that Jesus did in our gospel lesson? What did he do? He taught. So Blaise Pascal just said, Jesus came not to teach, but to humble. Okay? Well, clearly, Blaise was not reading the Bible, because it says right there, he teaches, okay? Um, And our reading from Paul's letter to these knowledgeable Corinthians, it requires, and maybe this chapter more than any other chapter in this letter, and there's a lot of deep stuff in this letter, it requires a lot of thinking. There's a lot of really sophisticated argument happening only in chapter 8. So, What is Blaise Pascal saying when he says that Jesus and Paul didn't come to teach? Pascal is saying exactly what Paul said. In other words, at the beginning of our reading, at the end of verse 1, knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. If anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not yet know as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, If anyone loves God, he is known by God. So this section of Paul's letter is is an incredibly intricate argument. And I I mean, I I considered, and I've done this before in the past, breaking it down piece by piece and sort of trying to explain all of the argument, all of this knowledge component to this text. And that and it's even this is part of an even larger intricate argument that starts in chapter six and goes all the way to chapter 10. And even that is filled out even more outside of that. So there's a lot of overlapping arguments going on here. So there's a lot of mind here. The next paragraph right after right after this reading that I just read from first Corinthians chapter eight, the second paragraph is perhaps one of the most deep theological paragraphs in the entire Bible. There are, there, are, there are hundreds and hundreds of pages of the early church fathers unpacking this paragraph. Did you remember what it was? Do you remember what it was? I'm not going to read it all for you. He says something about both the Father and the Son. They're both God and Lord. And... All the powers in heaven and on earth, these so-called gods, of them there is only one creator God. This is what his argument is. He is both father and he is son, but there's only one God. It's all said in this one paragraph. So if if you want to sort of unpack the Nicene Creed, this is a place to go. I could point to a lot of texts. So we could go really deep really quickly, but verse 7 gets us out of maybe getting too deep into the weeds this morning with one word, however, the Apostle Paul says, however, knowing these intricacies of theology isn't why Christ came. And here's the bigger point, and I think this is the bigger point of the Apostle Paul and Jesus and Blaise Pascal, knowledge or else proof isn't why you me, or anyone else believes in Jesus. 
It's not, it's not proofs, whether they're demonstrable actions or demonstrable arguments. That's not why I believe Christianity is. And so this is, this is true. It is the most reasonable philosophy in human history. I hold that without a shadow of a doubt. Um, but 